This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. My friend Jordan Ware, who was a priest in the Diocese of Texas and is now serving in Canada, has been opining this week about, about our preparations for preaching at Christmas. And she made an interesting observation about Christmas carols, one that I had never actually put together before. She said, Christmas carols have a pattern where about by the time you get to the fourth verse, they are dropping heavy Christian doctrine into what feels like a little folk song. And she said, the pattern goes sort of like this. The first verse might be, Jesus was born in the winter. The second verse might be, which makes us happy. And the third verse, which, because he reconciled us to God. And the fourth verse is, by uniting the divine and human natures in his person without division and without confusion. I thought that was an overstatement. But I'm wondering if she might be right. But it does occur to me that tonight's liturgy is designed almost exactly the same way. It starts with beauty and gentleness, fabulous music, great decorations, lots of candles, a hint of incense. I know it was a lot. I sent him on out, right? But just a little bit of incense to make this whole thing feel warm and welcoming. And then we listened to the lessons and we heard once upon a time story out of the gospel according to Luke. We heard beautiful poetry out of the book of the prophet Isaiah. But then, did you notice? Solid Christian doctrine slid right in there in the letter to Titus, as if that was a normal thing in a Christian liturgy. Weaving these things together seamlessly. One might think that Christmas Eve might not be the best time to try to hit people with a lot of heavy-duty, deep, Christian doctrine because we know this has been a long week for you. You may have some people in your house that you like, maybe. <laughs> and maybe you have some people in your house you don't like that much, but they're still in your house. Or maybe you don't have any people in your house and you wish you had people in your house. Or maybe you don't have a house at all. So, I mean, it could be a complicated week for you as we move into this cold winter and we move into Christmas and all the emotional complexity to that. And plus, by this time of night, I don't know, might have something to do with levels of sobriety. Would this, is this a good time to hit people with hardcore Christian doctrine? But sometimes, somehow we do. Somehow it's woven together, this once upon a time, this poetry, this narration, and doctrine all woven together. So let's see if my friend Jordan is right. Here's what I want you to do. I invite you to get your bullet, your, excuse me, your hymnals out of the pew in front of you. It's the blue book that's in front of you. And we're going to start with the carol on page 83. So come all ye faithful. It's one we all know and love, right? So let's see if her pattern plays out. Hymn 83. And you could know this. You could say it yourself without even looking at it, couldn't you? O come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. 
Okay, that gets her first pattern. Jesus was born. Doesn't say in the winter, but Jesus was born, and we're happy, right? So the first two things are there. But it only gets to verse 2 before it hits us with straight-up, solid Christian doctrine. God from God, light from light, eternal. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, only begotten Son of the Father. Oh, come, let us adore him. Now you have the beginnings of Trinitarian doctrine thrown at you at 10 o'clock at night, and you have incarnational theology thrown at you in a favorite carol. All right, now let's go to a different one. Let's move to Carol 102. This is my daughter Caroline's very favorite Christmas carol. I would sing it for you, but if you're familiar with how this carol is used in England, it requires a child soprano solo to sing the first verse. So I'll spare you that. It's once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for a bed. Mary was his mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. First, Jesus is born. Good. We are happy. We got the first two steps. Nothing about the winter. And this one actually moves a little more organically through the rest of the verses. But by the time we get to the fifth verse, solid Christian doctrine. Our eyes and our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child who seems so helpless is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone. Right here in the middle of a liturgy, you have just been hit with incarnational theology and eschatological theology about where God is taking us at the end of time. All in a Christmas carol. A couple more. Let's look at 104. Verse 1, and this is spectacular poetry. A stable lamp is lighted whose glow shall wake the sky. The stars shall bend their voices and every stone shall cry. In praises of the child by whose descent among us the worlds are reconciled. Oh, wait a minute. You know what I did? I mixed the theology and the doctrine, didn't I? All right, let's do first verse again. I'm sorry. It is 1030, isn't it? A stable lamp is lighted whose glow shall wake the sky. The stars shall bend their voices and every stone shall cry. And straw like gold shall shine. A barn shall harbor heaven. A stall becomes a shrine. Jesus is born. We are happy. Reconciling us to God. A shrine that brings us into the presence of God. But by verse 4, solid doctrine again. But now, as at the ending, the low is lifted high, the star shall bend their voices, and every stone shall cry. In praises of the child, but by those descent among us, the worlds are reconciled. Again, high theology of God's redemptive work in the world, God's work among sin and shame, reconciling the world to God. All right here in a Christmas carol. But I'd like to turn our attention to a different level of focus on a carol that has been in my heart and has been kind of an earwig for the last several weeks as I've been thinking and praying about Advent and Christmas. So turn to hymn 84. Hymn 84. 
This is a poem by Christina Rossi set to beautiful music. It is a very simple tune, and I think you probably know it. So the way I'd like us to do it is let's sing the first verse together. And then let's pause and think about it, and then we'll sing the second verse and pause, and then we'll sing the third verse. I gave no musicians any warning this was happening, so it's just going to be us. So think we can do it? Love came down at Christmas, love, all lovely, love, divine love came down at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. Christina could have chosen any of the doctrine of the church to articulate what she believed to be the most true thing in the world about God. This could have been a poem about omnipotence. This could have been a poem about all-knowing, all-power. This could have been a poem about self-emptying. It could have been a poem about righteousness and judgment. She narrows it down to what she believes is the most true thing about God. And it's love. Love came down at Christmas, she says. Love, all lovely. Love divine. Love came down at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. And now we picture the other, the other carols that show that picture of Mary and Joseph and Jesus in a manger and that very pastoral scene and the romance that we have put in that. She replaces all that with what happened there was love. Love was born. And if you even take it out of the romantic carol and put that scene in the real world of what it would have really been like for them to have to give birth to a child in a barn in a foreign land with no help, she still says, love is what was born there. And that star and angels point the way. Point the way to this incarnate love. Now she goes into her high Christian doctrine in the second verse. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign. She moves from love to talk to us about the real life theology of a Trinitarian doctrine. It's what we mean when we say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is not some academic, separated from the world kind of notion. It is this deeply, profoundly experiential thing about the divine. How she experienced the Godhead. God as God is. God, that thing beyond which nothing greater can be imagined. His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that that second person of the Trinity, Christ, incarnate, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So the way love came down at Christmas was the second person of the Trinity is incarnate in a tiny baby in Bethlehem.
Jesus. But then she asks the obvious question. How do we know this is true? But wherewith for sacred sign? What sign do we have that any of this is true at all? How is this not just some fantasy that we made up to help us deal with the pain in our lives? And then she answers her own question in the third verse. Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and neighbor. Love for plea and gift and sign. Love is how we know. The reality of love in the world is how we know that this is not a made-up fantasy. All the love that you know in your life bears witness to the love incarnate in Jesus Christ. Even if it's the tiniest bit of love, bears witness to the love of Jesus Christ. Love of yours. Love be mine. Love to God. And love to neighbor. Every time we experience it in any way, we are experiencing the reality of the Godhead. We are experiencing Trinitarian doctrine in our very daily lives. Just the reality of love. It is this alternative view to the world. Surely I don't have to explicate the alternative view of the world for you on Christmas Eve world that is filled with pain and war and horror and sorrow, suffering, violence. Here's the alternative to this. This is God's answer to all of this. It's love. And so love, in the very last line of this poem, becomes three things simultaneously. Love becomes the plea first. Please, Please, Lord Jesus, pour love into this world. We need this love. Please let me experience this love. And as soon as the plea is out of our mouth, before it ever got out of our mouth, the gift has already been given. God has already loved you. God has already poured God's self out for you. And you did nothing about it. You didn't even exist. It is God's way of pouring God's love into the world. Second person of the Trinity becomes a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago, and it's been pouring love into the world ever since. You are loved. I wonder all the competing messages about the way God really is that have been told to each of us in our lives. If we had a long time, we could ask each other that question. Were you told that God loves you? Were you told that God was mad at you? Were you told that God was angry with you? That God was waiting for you to get something right? And then maybe God will smile upon you. Christian doctrine says something else. Christina Rossi says something else. 
I say something else. God loves you. God loves you. You are the apple of God's eye. And that gift is true already. And then that gift becomes a sign. And the minute we embody that love, the minute we accept that, we live differently. We start to be loving. We start to do loving things in the world. And that love itself becomes a sign of this reality that God is love. And so we are full circle to her whole poem. And it takes us all the way back to the beginning where she sang, Love came down at Christmas. Love, all lovely love divine. Love came down at Christmas. Star and angel gave the sign. Merry Christmas. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.